Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Everyone, welcome to Culture Bites. I'm joined this week again by DB. G'day, Dom. How are you going? Becoming a regular DB. You've been on the last few shows. I am an hour regular. You better watch out. There's uh, expectations being set as we speak. For 2019, here we come. That's it. And we're joined by a very special guest today, Grant Brecht. So Grant is a consultant and clinical psychologist from Insight Elite Performance Psychology. And we got Grant on the show this week uh, really to talk about psychology and sports. So Grant's done a lot of work with the Sydney Swans, the Roosters, as well as racing and golf and all sorts of sports, Grant. So we're happy to have you here with your uh, expertise, your pearls of wisdom. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks, Tom and DB. Great to be with you, uh, guys. The, uh, the uh, intellectual aura in this room is just quite phenomenal. <laughs> well, uh, Grant, having a man of your infinite knowledge and experience is just going to bring this podcast to life. <laughs> well, we've really set expectations for the show. Um, no, great to be here and uh, important topics. Uh, fantastic to be able to chat with you guys about them. Yeah, and thanks for coming in. So I know you do a lot of work with organizations of all sorts, but partly why we want to chat with you is people have lots of questions about sport in particular and working with professional sporting organizations. And you know, you know the thing with sports is lots of people use them for examples in business, right? So how sports teams operate and stuff. And probably make all kinds of wrong assumptions and so on. So it'd be <laughs> lovely to hear from you in this episode, Grant. Yes, look, it, uh, it is. It's, uh, we've had a long history. It's, uh, for example, with the uh, Sydney Swans, I think I've been working with them in various capacities for about 22 years now, Tom. And there's, there's a lot that we can learn from sport and there's a lot that we can learn probably what not to do. Mm. But uh, it's a very, very interesting uh, environment. The one thing that is phenomenal about it and why I think so many elite sportsmen and women can get up and really perform at the uh, pointy end of their sport week after week after week under phenomenal psychological and physical mm. pressure often is that they are continually in a, um, a performance zone, learning zone looping. Mm. And that is they go out, they perform, they come in, they do a lot of debriefing. They get feedback on how they've gone both individually as the backs, the mids, the forwards, and then as an entire team. And they, so they're forever in this, uh, this performance zone, learning zone looping. And we know that when adults go into that is when they get the very best out of themselves. And I think there's a real learning in there for organizations generally, yeah. mm. because with a lot of the gear that you guys do and uh, a lot of the gear that we do, Often organizations get out there and they're performing, you know, they're yes. doing whatever. They're doing the doing. They're yep. doing the doing, and that's very important. And then every now and then they might think, ah, yeah, look, we need to do something on culture. We need to do something on leadership. We need to do something on team development. Mm. And then quite often it's a sporadic or a shotgun approach to it rather than a real strategic approach. And I think as the three of us here realize that when organizations do it and do it well and continually go into this test, action, retest model, if you like, mm. and really keep that reflexivity there of awareness, acceptance, and, and action planning going in the area of culture, leadership, team development, and individual uh, development, then really good things happen at a performance level. I think the thing to expand on that in what Grant subtly just said, but 
does reinforce is that mindset of learning and growth continue basis. And what we see in sporting teams like the Swans, Uh it becomes part of their mantra, it becomes part of their weekly drumbeat Uh that how do we have a mindset to learn, grow, practice it, Uh then learn, grow, practice again. And so what's different in organizations is that they have a mindset of learn, grow occasionally. <laughs> yes. And whereas it's the, the drum beat. And I think to Grant's point, probably to expand on that, how do the, how do the swans actually do that? Mm. So what's the process of systems they have behind that? That can be transferred into the ASX 200 of Australia. Ah. Yes, I think that really is uh, the reality. And uh, often that mindset has got to start with leadership, doesn't it? The leadership have got to be able to put the resources into doing that, and they've got to see the value in doing that. And the other thing I think is that it wasn't very long ago where people often in leadership had this, they were change managers, weren't they? They were Uh uh, change agents or agents of change, and they'd come in and, you know, for three-year period or whatever, chop, change some structures around, change some processes around, often get rid of staff, short-term gain. But often, as we know, long-term gain and often no real ongoing benefits uh-huh. uh, in terms of what it is that they were doing. And you see that in a sporting context. Yeah, okay. Yeah, absolutely the same thing. When you have a, a focus on sustainability, and I think that that's when you look at the way that the swans have gone about uh-huh. themselves, and that took leadership back in 2003 with the change of leadership you had uh, a great coach come in. You had a head of a football department. You had uh, backing from the board, some great people on the board that the, were there for the long term. And they decided that they wanted to do something different. They wanted to create a culture of sustainability. So one of, if you like, the benchmarks that were kind of set around that time were we're only going to be satisfied with the systems, the processes, and the way we go about ourselves if we play finals every year. And in the last, since 2013, uh, 2003, the Swans have played in finals every year except one. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. 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 And it's because they have culturally indoctrinated into the way they go about it, the expectations for on-field and off-field behaviours, and they review it constantly. They're not just reviewing the task orientation if you like, from the perspective of, well, how well did we just play on, on the field? But they're reviewing how they're going as individual and individuals and giving each other feedback. How are we going as a forward centre pack and a backpack and giving each other feedback on that? And mm-hmm. so there's this real focus, if you like, on growing and developing each other. And on the point that you brought up, Dom, it re- around the whole competitive, if we have a look at the competitive style in the human synergistic circumplex, for example, yes, when you get out there, you want desire, you want determination, you've got to play in the zone, and you need to be competitive to some degree. But it is far, far more important to be achievement-focused from I need to play my role well, Mm. and then I've got to support my mates, which is humanistic encouraging Mm. and affiliative behaviours. And so that what you need, if once again we use the circumplex model, is you need a stack and a ton of blue in there. Mm. And that's what we've found when we've, because we've been able to profile some of the sporting teams and outside of the ones we work with as well as we know. Yeah, right. And quite often, you're right, when you initially start to do it, the perfectionistic, the competitive can be a bit high. So interestingly, 
can the conventional yeah right can be a bit uh, a bit high and so what you've got to be able to do in your in your uh, culture is contain that and really just focus and grow the blue so Literature. the mindset DB that you spoke about becomes one of I'm going to get better you chase me you get better I'll chase you and I, but I'll support you if you're in the team and I'm not in the team I'll support you for being there and do everything I can to support you in that, but by hell, watch me because I'm going to train hard and do what I can to get better as well. And I think you've just hit another point without obviously disclosing specific players or any identities, but that support from being when you're in the team, not in the team, and if I'm in rehab, what are some of the insights culturally that players bring and the organization of the Swans brings to players when they're on their rehab journey and trying to get back in the team? Yeah, that's uh, that's really uh, uh, really interesting, isn't it? We uh, we had the case recently of Alex Johnson that uh, happy to chat about who was out for years, the uh, poor lad with uh, knee reconstructions, uh-huh. as we know. And yet, when you talk to other players about that, and you listen to the coaches talk uh, about it, he was so encouraging of others and the stickability of wanting to do the right thing of wanting to get back was just, I suppose, in the eyes of others, he became quite awe-inspiring of how Mm. can this guy, because rehab in a sporting context can be quite isolating. You know, you can do what you can do to stay connected with the team, but you're not out there training with them. You're not out there playing each game. And it's not the same. It is different. And you've got to be able to deal with that context. And so uh, what you see there is that, they are, if you've got a great culture in place where people are supporting each other and where they really are connected as cogs in a system, if you like, to be the best and do the best that they are, mm. not just get the task done, because otherwise when you're in rehab, you're not really getting the task done, which is your main task mm. to win games, mm. but the overall series of tasks through supporting each other, which is let's get each other on the park, let's be the best that we can possibly be, let's back each other up when the going gets a bit tough here, what you're really building there is you're building a fantastic environment, I suppose, of resilience of, yep, we hang in there and we get it done, but also of mutual support and respect. Mm. And that's then when you get those sort of things permeating throughout your uh, your culture, I think that's when you really get on a day-to-day basis, affiliativeness and humanistic and encourage an interest in each other's growth and development, mm. not just winning the game, mm. but an interest in what's in it for all of us. And that can permeate to not only what happens on field, but what happens off field and then life after footy. And it's the same, yeah, sort, right. of, same sort of thing in an organization, it isn't, isn't it? That if we get the culture right, then we're building great people and mm. we're, bu- we're helping build, if you like, those constructive styles in families, not just in organizations. So organizations are providing a great contribution there to what I believe is the major thing that a responsible corporate citizen can do, and that is look after human beings and grow yeah. and develop human beings. Well said, Grant. And that's what we're about, right? Allowing everyone to be the best they can be. It's interesting you touched on the team support, someone in rehab or someone who's in rehab and the support they can provide. I remember I was fortunate enough to spend a bit of time with one of the Swans players who was in rehab, and he spoke about the personal commitment. It was his personal responsibility to make sure the rehab was done. 
Mm. No one else's responsibility. Mm. So there's that balance of support from others, but that individual mindset they bring as well. Do you want to touch on that a little bit? It's really important, uh, DB. I was at a, uh, a sort of a, a sporting seminar breakfast this morning with some guys from the US as well as out here. And one guy was a, a psychiatrist. He's a psychiatrist now and he works in the sporting area. And he uh, himself was a very, very high profile NFL player. Mm-hmm. And he talks about the journeys that he's been on, but the responsibility that he needed to take and the responsibility of the club. And it really is, once again, it's a joint responsibility. And it's very, very important because when you're in, and it's often, we often hear it spoken about the family. When when you're Mm -hmm. in a sporting club, it sometimes is like being in a family. But a lot of what a lot of that at times can seem to be is you're in an adult-adult relationship a lot of the time. What are the facts? What are we dealing with? I want to contribute something. You need to contribute something. But then at other times, your manager will be looking after your contract for you. The coaches will be telling you what to do. The physios will be telling you exactly what you need to do Mm -hmm. in the rehab, and you just got to go along and do it. And often, you know, there'll be people that'll be looking, helping you get your vocation done and uh, helping you prepare for life after football. And it's the attitude that you take towards that yourself, that you really have to make sure that you immerse yourself in it, that Mm. you take responsibility for the parts that you need to do so you learn and build your self-efficacy, your belief in yourself to be able to do things at the end of the day. And that's when you see sportsmen and women who are well coached, who have great leaders in these clubs, great mentors, And that can be from within the club or some of the sponsors, for example, that they might get tied up with. They go on to do great things after football because not only have they believed in themselves as a great sports person, which if you don't set yourself up and don't get the right sort of training during that, can dissipate quickly when you're finished. So you Uh, lose it. So you lose it. But when you've got it and when it's a joint responsibility for us being the very best that we can be, And also that I have a responsibility to give back. It's not just about me and me being a star player. And this is the sort of thing that does your head in Mm. at times with the press when they go on about stars and whatever. It's not not about being a damn star player. It's about being a major contributor to the team and a major contributor to the club and a major contributor to the public and the community because they're the people that are supporting us in these clubs and making Mm. the clubs successful. So... I think it's it's around the so- whole thing of you know building great teams is the the results from a mindset perspective that when the players and when you build players in the sporting context and in an ideal context it's got to depend on the culture in the club but when the culture is right then you can actually build people whose results are not just about how great they are but the results are about how great the club is. Mm. Is the club meeting and, and winning premierships is great and it's beaut, but you can't do that all the time. So if you win a premiership, that's great and that's beaut. But it's that we versus the me. So in that regard, it's really very much the same as any organizational so. context. Yeah. That links straight into organizational purpose, right? Absolutely. And one of the things uh, you talked about, the spirit of a club ravaging out to the community and the uh. social impact. And what we find culturally with organizations, if they have that same drive, the impact we have on the community and society, how much better will everyone contribute from within the organization, which is what the players are doing. 
Yes, that's, uh, that's right. And then the benefits, the performance benefits there are there for uh, you extend that performance legacy because le- a performance, as we know from all the research into culture, is not just about getting the task done, it's how the hell we get the task done that is so Mm. important if you want that sustainable performance. So when we're talking about culture, we're not talking about, hey, boys, you know, like you see (laughs) with the sporting teams, let's have a hug before the game and have a hug at quarter time or we'll we'll (laughs) flip hands with each other and we'll high five and do all of that. You don't do the psych up speech before the game? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. It's it's not about – that's not the most uh, powerful thing uh, at all in it – Exactly right. So let's just explore that a little bit. What about the uh, the coach? Let's say expressing his uh, his current level of feeling at quarter time, half time, three quarter time. How do you think the players receive that? And then talk a little bit about behind the scenes. How's the coach? Look, it, it's really, really uh, very, very interesting. And this comes back to. The whole thing, and it's really a very good question, DB, it comes back to the whole thing around the circumplex, doesn't it? Like when, you, when you're, uh, if an individual is a leader or an individual in an organisation, or if you're doing culture plots within an organisation and you see quite a bit of blue and you see some red and green, you don't want to freak out. Correct. A little mm. bit of red, a little bit of green is fine as long as you've got a hell of a lot of blue. And so once again, it's a lot of the research around positivity. And if we're going to help others grow their self-efficacy, their belief in themselves, research from Barbara Fredrickson and those sort of uh, folk, and even from Carol Dweck with Growth Mindsets, is you want to be giving someone three pats on the back for every kick in the butt you give them. That aligns with our impact data as well. Yeah. 100% aligns. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're giving the guys a bit of a roast at quarter time, what the public don't see, or at half time, what the public don't see is the coach sitting down with someone, their arm around them, and having a chat with them about, hey, listen, mate, I know you made a mistake out there, but if you're not going really hard and trying your best and making some mistakes... Positive mistakes. Yeah, positive mistakes. You're really not putting in. So let's not worry about that. Let's get back on. You know what your role is. You know what you need to do to support the system that we've got, the game plan that we've got. So get up and away you go. Mm. And then the amount of time that the coaches will spend one-on-one giving feedback and the amount of time that the coaches put into analysing uh, with the team, often involved, but analysing data. It's enormous commitment from these coaches. And, you know, most of the sporting men and women that you talk to really do appreciate that. Mm. But the coach has got to be careful because every now and then, you know, the, one of the players, and especially if they're fairly new, will come up uh, to a psychologist <laughs> and say, I'm really worried what the coach said when I, you know, kicked the ball and the opposition got it and we had a turnover and uh, wonder what the hell is going on in the coach's box. But if it's like culture, if you're doing the right thing most of the time and like most of us, then we'll cut each other some slack yeah, right. if we get a bit of motion. And what a lot of the players will, will also understand is that the coaches were once, most of them were once players uh. And uh, when you can run it out a bit on the field, but when you're in the coach's box, there can be a bit of a sense of, <laughs> of helplessness. You've got a lot of energy built up. A lot of energy built up. So we do need to cut them uh, some slack when we see them going off in the coach's box. But once again, uh, it comes back, you know, overall to that whole thing that we want to be modelling. If we're in a leadership position, most of the time we've got to model what we want to see people doing in the culture. And it's no different to any organisation. Mm. No different. In a leadership position, I've got to be modelling. Every now and again, we slip. 
We do. So we often, we've talked on a few podcasts. Mm. It's where you live and where you camp. Yeah. Look, it is. And, and it's, a lot of it is around, a lot of it is to be great in a sporting context, to build a great sporting team, to be a great sporting coach, to be a great support person, for example, and to be a great player does take a certain amount of courage. And I'm not talking about, it's the courage of your conviction. I'm not talking about the sort of courage that an SAS soldier puts themselves in when they go out and there's people, bullets whizzing all around them. That's enormous courage. But it takes courage to back yourself. It mm. takes courage to be able to look at the long term. And it, like it does in organisations, if you're looking at your uh, balance sheet every month, mm. you can make some awfully terrible decisions about your culture, can't very you? Very short term. Very, mm. very short term. So to believe in yourself, and it's like, you know, you often don't become a great sports person overnight. You build up and you've got to be open to learning. You've got to be open to coaching. And you've got to be open to the absorption of the culture that you're in and take up all the positive qualities that are there if those around you have really spent quite a bit of time building a, a positive culture and realize that, you know, no man is an island or no person is an island, but we really are just all important parts of the continent, aren't we? Mm. It's how we work together at the end of the day. 100%. Yeah. And it's one I often think about is with competitive versus achievement kind of styles is competitive can often have that short-term mindset. So we're all about winning this game, right? This or this play or whatever. But having that achievement mindset is actually about how do we win the championship, right? How do we win all the championships? And that's why I think, you know, because sometimes in competitive, it's like one player could maybe hog the ball or something and, and win this game, but that's not going to get you to the championship at the end of the season. No. You know, because you can't sustain that, essentially. No, look, you, uh, you can't, Dom, and that's uh, very important. And that's where we really need to build into the culture that everything is a system in life, isn't it? Our mm. bodies are systems, cities are systems, the universe is a damn system, Australia mm. is a system. And we're all cogs in that system, and it's how well we work together that is really quite important. But that duration thing of being successful and putting in to be successful in the long term and being able to depend on your culture and the way you go about it is so important. And I'm taken back to, well, the beginning of last year when the Swans, for example, won 6 and 6 Yeah, yeah, what happened then? Because it's easy to turn on yourself at that point, isn't it? Panic. Put your bloody head in the ground or blame exactly. someone else. or point the finger. That's point it. the finger at that's, someone. That sounded very green or very red. <laughs> <laughs> and look, it is. And But back in, uh, I forget when it was, I think it was probably 2015 or 16, with the Roosters, because we worked with the Roosters as well. Mm. Had a horror year. You know, we'd done really well. We ran the grand final in 14. And for three years in a row, we were top of the rung. And then mm. we had a real run of injuries, et cetera. And we finished the next year, I think it was second to bottom. But what happened was, to the credit of both of these clubs, the Swans with the six zero six and the Roosters, was that I guess what happens is the coaches and those around them change the mindset from having to win each game to building, basically building this level of self-efficacy and what we call mastery. And mm. so what you then look at is you come back to how can we get the young guys feeling and playing as positively as they possibly can? Mm. How do we not have the older guys try and do too much and make too many mistakes or burn themselves out? But how do we go on this process of guys, hang in there, let's learn the skills, we trust the system, 
and trust the process and trust the game plan and come back to the basics and build and build because away we're going to go again. Mm. The next year, I think the Roosters finished second or third. The Swans came back and finished in the finals I know. Uh, again. And so that's all about culture again at the end of the day. You've got to be able to trust the processes, the why, the what you're doing, but the how you're going about it. And it's really quite interesting because self-efficacy happens, and this is belief in ourselves to do what we need to do to get through in life. It's the greatest gift we can build, give our children is to help our children grow up with high levels of self-efficacy. But the research out of 30-odd years of research out of the US shows that you need individual self-efficacy. Let's get together and help each other grow and mm. develop. You need team self-efficacy. The team has to have belief in itself that it can do it. So we've got to believe in each other and help each other mm. grow and develop as a team as well. And then you need coaching self-efficacy, which is, if you like, the efficacy in the game plan and what the senior leadership team or your executive leadership team are doing. And so what you come back at, uh, again, is at a, an individual level, at a team level, and at the whole of organizational level, you need a culture that says, we know what we need to do and we're going to stick to it. And we're not, we're not going to make major changes but we're going to make transformations. Uh, so we'll, we'll, get, we'll work hard at getting a great culture that is achievement-focused and that is task-focused, but is people-focused as well, and then we'll transform it as we go, not you know get rid of half the coaching uh, staff, get rid uh, of half the, uh, the team members, point out to people where they're going wrong, but we're going to just transform what it is that we do slowly as we go. And that's what I've observed in sporting teams that do that really well is when they go on this really great journey of sustainability and high performance year after year after year. Mm. And that way, coaches don't have to make excuses, oh, we need to go on a rebuilding program mm. for three to five years. Mm. Yeah. I don't know that you'd hear a lot of that out of the swans. No, not exactly right. And it's interesting you talk about that individual team and coach self-efficacy. It's funny, the podcast just prior to this one, we talked about the I in team, which is your individual mindset. Yeah. And you bring your individual mindset yourself. And then we talked about the personal relationships you have within the team, which is the team efficacy. Then we talked about the core values and purpose of why you exist. Yeah. Which brings it all together. So it aligns, so aligns organizationally as well as in sporting teams. Yeah, absolutely. I think the Swans example was a tremendous example of, you know, the Swans are known for having a very constructive culture or having a great culture. And it's easy when you're winning, you know, like there's a lot of clubs out there who seem or teams and organizations who, and so on who, oh, we all love working here. It's great while things are going good. And then the second, you know, the chips are down slightly, suddenly it all collapses in. I'm sure people were happy working financial organizations up until 12 months ago. Yeah. Or, yeah. or like Enron or something, right? Enron yeah. had, you know, high engagement and so on. People yeah. loved it. But guess what? <laughs> it was yeah. right underneath. And I think that's testament to the swans that when the when the going was tough, they actually stuck with it and maintained their culture and then turned the whole season around. I mean, it was amazing to watch. Yeah. And it, it's, it, that's exactly right, Dom. And it's really very interesting because what it does is it feeds in this, into this whole concept. And there's a lot of research around now around optimism versus pessimism. Mm. And when you don't have that and when you don't have a culture of optimism that we're going to work together to sort this out and we can work through this, 
and we'll listen to each other and we'll work together to sort it out. When you don't have that and you have this, if you like, this culture of pessimism, ah, it's terrible, it's awful, it's shocking what's happening, Mm. you go on what we call a balk in your routine and losing streaks. Mm. And Elizabeth Cantor, one of the researchers, found that when you have this level of pessimism, which means you don't have the constructive culture, you either have this really flaky, passive defensive culture or this aggressive culture where you're blaming others or Mm. you're just going to ground when things go wrong, then you go on losing streaks. You have the same people, you have the same, often the same desire, but you just lose the momentum and you lose the belief and Mm. then your tasks go off and then your interactions with people go off and you go on these losing streaks. Mm. But when you build this solid culture and you build this belief in each other and that belief is built on, we are going to get the task done well. And every now and then, yep, the wind may blow in the wrong direction. We've got to tack a bit. We're not going to go straight necessarily to Uh where we want to get get things, but let's stay connected. Let's stay really engaged with each other. Let's stay respectful. Let's stay affiliative in the manner in which we work through this. Let's listen to each other and let's stay very solution focused in the way that we go about it. Then you build this culture of optimism and that's when you build this very solid sustainability and this solid performance. In my, I suppose, that's been one of my major takeouts in working both with organizations, but especially with with sporting teams that do well as opposed to those that don't do well. Mm. It's what your culture can give you. But if you don't work on your culture and you just work sporadically on uh, getting the task done and as you said, yeah, we're, we're in a good position. We don't have to do much here. We don't have to spend mm, much right. in really having a strategic approach to culture. You can come off. And as we know, you go on the sawtooth. You'd be very successful of all. <laughs> then drop you off the cliff. <laughs> drop off the cliff. And then you can build that back over time and drop off the cliff. But uh, it's a painful journey. It links um, <clears throat> that whole concept of taking the optimistic versus pessimistic. It links naturally to the circumplex as well. One of the variables we often talk about is communication. Now, all because all organisations have communication, then there's always gaps yep. in communication. It just ha- that happens, right? There's gaps in marriages, right? Yeah, absolutely. There's gaps in communication, and then it's when there's a gap, what fills the gap? Yeah. So is it that pessimistic? The world's coming to an end. They haven't told me what's happening, so it must be the worst. <laughs> yeah. Or is it optimistic? They haven't told me, but it's going to be an opportunity. I'm sure they've got my back, and they're going to look after me. It's exactly the same. It links to that security versus satisfaction. Where are we motivated? That's exactly right, DB. And that's what, as psychologists, we've known for ages is that people can't, they can't exist in a vacuum. You can't exist for too long in a neutral state. You go to pessimism or optimism, positive or negative. It's just the way that we are wired up. And what, that's where I love the use of the circumplex as a signpost. You know, where are we? What's happening around here? And once you know that, once you know where you are, then you can do something about it. You can keep the strengths going and you can work on those areas that may be trip up points. And what you need are great psychometric instruments that show you that. And that's what the circumplex does. But it does it very simply, doesn't it? Blue, red, green. Correct. Constructive, passive, defensive, aggressive, defensive. And then you can start to look at the 12 styles. But And what it does, the beauty, I think, and that's why we've used it in sporting clubs and in that arena as well, is that you can use it with the individual, the team, and the whole of organization. Mm. And that's the beauty of it. You're not learning a whole heap of new models because 
these guys are out there wanting to play bloody football. They're wanting to play <laughs> hockey. They're wanting to play <laughs> rugby. Right. They're not, they're not <laughs> self-actualizing and humanistic and encouraging? No, no. And But when, when you get it right, you see some amazing things happen. And one, I'll just tell you one story because I think it's really very pertinent. And this young man now is a captain of a football club. And I won't tell you what code or whatever it is, but we did a simulation you know, one of the simulations from uh-huh. human synergistics with this particular club. And it was really interesting because it was a survival situation. Uh-huh. We get into it and uh, this lad's known and everybody's saying he's a hothead. He's a, he's a great footballer. He's fantastic in the code that he's in, but he's just a hothead and he can't work well. He gets upset with others uh-huh. and he can be as destructive as he is constructive. We get into this simulation and we've crashed, you know, we're burning in the bloody snow and and we've got to work out how to survive. We're sitting around doing this thing. He hops up and literally almost like he was living it up. Well, I'm off. I don't give a damn what the rest of you do. I'm off. You can stay here and write if you want to, but I'm off. I know what I'm going to do. And this literally played out in front of everybody's eyes. Love it. Fantastic. And the, we're then doing the debrief, right, later. And we're going through, you know, what happens and the debrief. We're looking at the, the uh, group style of in- inventory of what played out. And I'm looking over at this lad and he's turning pale. And this is actually happening in front of me. And he's turning pale. And he turned around to the group and to his credit and he said, guys, I've got it. He said, what I've got to do is I've got to move from the red to the pink to the blue. (laughs) And then to his credit, he actually went out and did it. Wow. Two years later, he's a captain of his football club or a co-captain situation, but it was the awareness that he got out of it. But once again, he was open enough and coachable Mm. enough Mm. not to get defensive enough. When he saw reason and what the process did was it gave him that awareness. He took the acceptance and then said- He owned it. He owned it. And then he said, he kind of then could say, I can see how I can be a hell of a lot better, a hell of a lot greater contributor, but my desires and my energy now can be channeled into far more constructive pursuits. And then the growth in this lad and his contribution to the team has just been uh, remarkable. And you see those awe-inspiring things play out in front of you and and you're in awe of, uh, you know, this young in his early 20s play this out. And some of these guys are not, you know, necessarily overly highly educated. Some are, but you don't have to be, do you? No, not at all. I think that's, that's a great example of being from a great football to a great leader and more yeah. importantly a great, great club great club person <laughs> absolutely yeah. yep fantastic well I think that's a great note to end on too I think we could probably go on talking about this <laughs> for hours and maybe it'd be great to have you for another another show as well Grant but, yeah uh, happy happy guys yeah, yeah I think we'll lock him in for number two straight away fantastic sounds good alright then uh, see you on another one right thanks, thanks guys God. thanks great Thanks for listening to this episode of Culture Bites. If you enjoy the show, remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, leave us a review. It helps other people to find the show. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, email podcast at human-synergistics.com.au. We'd love to answer it. Thanks for being part of our amazing community. We can only do it together with yourself. So long for now.